Welcome to Q Deep Dives, another one from our Patreon archives. Q Deep Dives were recorded during the production of season one, so even we didn't know everything that was going to happen yet. Even so, this is your official spoiler warning. Members of the cast will be discussing events which transpired in season one, so if you're not caught up and you want to keep the story a mystery, maybe save this one for later. Hello and welcome, dear lovely patrons, to our second Q Deep Dive. Um, again, coined by Scarlet, which is just an incredible name. I like it very much. So I am joined by Scarlett today. Yes. Hello. That's me. Hi. <laughs> and we will be talking about, I mean, I guess the most obvious Nim and Kimura moment. <laughs> I think it's, I, I think I, I would almost argue, because Nim and Kimura had interactions before this, but I think this was mm. the first, like, Nimura moment, really. And this was certainly the moment where I, as a as a player, was like, oh shit this is a thing like we kind of alluded to it before but it's like oh yeah whatever we're just exploring character dynamics you know possibilities are boundless and then oh oh we can make this even more intensely packed with feelings okay i mean i'm up for that let's do that we should also we've just we've just talked a lot about conceptually what it is without actually really saying what it is um <laughs> oops we uh, that, no that's fine that's part of the course um we're we're going to be talking about uh specifically well particularly Cromora's death and nime's deal with baramos and more generally the sort of nature of of Cromora uh, and nim's relationship and how that how it sort of developed from that uh from yeah that so i think moment. this is a really interesting one because it's like Obviously, that's a really like pivotal moment, not just for the for like their relationship, for but also for the campaign. But but there's so much that spins off from that, like you know, even to I mean, it's just continued and the dynamics continued changing. Yeah. Um, from that point, and I I do just want to pref- preface this discussion with a with a little disclaimer that I don't know about you, Scarlett, but I certainly am not trying to put forth like an ideal relationship oh no not not even slightly. um, <laughs> um <laughs> i think i sometimes i worry about that just because it's like you know queer content is obviously mm. <sighs> held to a higher standard sometimes yeah. by queer audiences but you know we're allowed to be complicated and messy just like the straights tm exactly um and i certainly think nim and Cremora's dynamic as it currently exists in the show is certainly <laughs> far better than it was, but um, they still have so much to work through, but they haven't had the time to do that because of the circumstances. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think, I think it's interesting because um, I mean, exactly as you say, there's this kind of when you're making content, like when you're making things like when you're making sort of, stories about queer people there is this there is this incredibly high standard of you know and it's not even necessarily just high standard it's this kind of there's this whole kind of cultural milieu around it of like well you can't just have characters be queer it has to be a story about queerness it has to be you know Mm. and it's all these things that's why you get so many queer coming of age stories because Mm. it's a way of exploring that kind of dynamic and i think yeah really getting to explore 
just it's because it's it's not a it's not a healthy relationship in a lot of respects, or it wasn't certainly, um, but in other respects it is, and I think a lot of relationships are like that in a, in a sense. Yeah, like, exactly. Not not every relationship is inherently perfect. Like there will always be, you know, there will be an element of it that's not that's not perfect, right? There's there's something. And, and obviously to varying degrees of, you know, to varying extents. And most of the time it's not a huge, you know, it's not, it's not anything malicious or anything bad. It's just some minor communication breakdown or, or, or you know, whatever, that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of my favorite things about, I guess, what we've explored between Nim and Kramora so far is that, I mean, communication has been a big thing between the two of them because... I, even now, I wouldn't say that either of them are kind of truly comfortable with themselves, even though they kind of adore each other. So it's like there's still those layers of insecurity there, you know, stemming from their both of their upbringings, which left them both feeling quite isolated, though, you know, with vastly different, um, I guess, yes, genesis, gen- genesis? Whatever. Yeah. Um, nah, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, I, I really love exploring that space where, like, it's not that they have a toxic relationship by any means. No, not at all. Um, but that, you know, there are certainly aspects that they could work on and that there are things that they could do better to support each other and, and to be kind of a, a healthier couple, but they just haven't gotten there yet. And I don't know, yeah, I really think when it comes to queer relationships in the sense that there can be a lot of trauma but also just you know like minority stress from being queer that can you know cause low mood and mental illness that can make those kinds of things really difficult and I I like being able to play in that space in this context because we don't have to deal with any of the real world (laughs) shit (laughs) that we can still portray the difficulties of that dynamic and the things that these characters might be going through that people might be able to relate to. Yeah, um, yeah. And I mean in part that's that's role playing games, right? Like that's collaborative exactly. storytelling. It's it's this <laughs> idea of it's being able to explore these these themes and these ideas and not it's not not dealing with consequences, but it's it's this because you're not it's it's being who you are by being someone different. Um mm. it's being able to kind of play in this space without having the same kind of because it's not real, right? It's it's a story, and 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 fiction is hugely important, right? For exploring for exploring ideas and for exploring you know for exploring themes like this, and so being yeah, getting to getting to explore it not just through a fictional not just through a fictional thing, but through a fiction that you're involved with and through a fiction that you are mm. constantly creating and recreating. Um, I think I think is immensely important and immensely immensely is an immensely powerful thing um, for people involved. Yeah, certainly. I mean, um, that play uh, that like segues really nicely into something that I kind of wanted to touch on briefly today. If if you're comfortable, is like I guess what it has meant for you and I as queer people who at the start of the recording of this podcast were kind of well obviously we were both out but we weren't I know I certainly still had a little bit of not necessarily self-discovery but getting comfortable in what I had discovered yeah yeah Um, no I mean yes absolutely um I I think I because at the time towards the start I wasn't really I hadn't given a lot of thought to my identity in a in a general sense. I think, um, uh, and I mean, I know I'm obviously queer. Dungeon is 
uh, and role-playing games generally given me, you know, a wonderful opportunity to explore, um, to explore those sort of things. And I've talked about this on, on, on interviews before, um, for, for Patreon. Um, but yeah, and, and having that space. And I think absolutely getting to kind of explore the idea of a relationship, um, uh, particularly a queer relationship that was, that wasn't necessarily like perfect, right? And, and getting that idea of kind of breaking through a lot of dominant cultural narratives, sort of the sort of stuff we were talking about before of, it has to be kind of, it has to be perfect from the start and mm. and through this kind of exploration even though you're conscious of it uh you know you're conscious of the fact that no of course that's ridiculous um but getting to kind of kind of play in that space and and is it sort of i don't want to say practice run because that sounds ridiculous but like <laughs> or, <laughs> no, almost but it that is. almost that kind of thing of going well because it, it's it's fine here because it's not real right it's not a there are no stakes attached to it, exactly. so you can invest those feelings without getting hurt so that you know whether it's something you want or not, really. Yeah. Like, I know for me, um, like, even though I knew that I was bi and stuff, there was still this kind of discomfort around openly and honestly pursuing women romantically mm-hmm. um, and realising in in the moment, you know, that there'd been this kind of a little bit of back and forth between Nim and Kamara that was there were no stakes attached to it again, but then suddenly there were stakes attached to it, at least narratively. And realizing how deeply I felt about that connection was really powerful for me. And and kind of, you know, helped me realize like, yes, this is a part of me that I am obviously like not just comfortable with, but excited about, you know, I, I got to be proud, which brings us to the moment in question. Um, what? (laughs) I mean, we all know that it was, yeah, (laughs) essentially, um, I know what you were thinking. Um, Um, not much. And I, I, (laughs) well, I think, I mean, you knew that Cremoras had that, you know, the 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 necromantic uh, both ancestry and history. Um, yeah, but none of us did. Mm. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I did know that Cremora. Um, I knew that Cremora was uh, her family were predominantly necromancers. I knew that a big part of her backstory involved her consciously deciding not to use her magical ability in that capacity um but everything else about Cremora's backstory all the like the level particularly like the level of um uh, abuse that she'd suffered that came afterwards mm. because i think and then this is one of the things about emergent storytelling that's really interesting because i didn't go in with the knowledge that well yes Cremora has been you know she had an abusive parental relationship and she, and she was in an abusive romantic relationship um I went into that situation only knowing that she had complicated feelings towards necromancy. And so subsequently, the idea of her choosing to get injured, like choosing to be physically harmed by the ghost rather than having her will taken away, that gains a whole new kind of spin when you understand that, well, the reason she's doing that is because his, like she has a history of having her will subverted right of having her 
um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, having her agency taken away. Yeah. And so being like, which something, again, that wasn't a thing when that scene happened, but retroactively you can look back at it and say that, well, I mean, of course that makes perfect sense. I love that. I, I absolutely, I feel like there's been a couple of moments like that, like, especially because I, um, I try and re-listen to the moments before mm. we do these deep dives, just so there's anything I can kind of catch on to, like even like stuff unrelated to the stuff that we're talking about right now, yeah. just like little things where I'm like, God damn it. I know that this wasn't a thing at the time, but that's going to tie in later. Like, like, I mean, Lenny is the biggest example. Yes. Um, was just like a magic dagger that Tori made up on the spot who suddenly become this incredibly pivotal NPC in our campaign. Yeah. <laughs> um, with his own fucked up relationship. Yeah, exactly. And it's really, I think it's also interesting um, because going going on from that like the next we had what was it like a two week gap between recordings between was um, it two weeks or did we fast track it i we might did have we, fast did we just, i think we might have decided bit. to record the next week because yeah, something like that but it was still like still we had this like week gap or whatever of like internal screaming and not being able oh my to God. tell anyone I made I made a playlist. I, I listened know. to it nonstop for the whole week. I had I pined yeah. as Nim and as myself because mm-hmm. obviously I love Cremora very much. Um and and I mean there was this kind of this beauty in not knowing what was going to happen. Like as a player, but also being in the character's head kind of thing and figuring out, well, like for me, like I just realized at the same moment Nim did, basically, that the feelings were reciprocated. Hmm. Um, and like, what do you do with that when you suddenly realize that in the moment that it's taken away, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was, it was it was kind of this this really interesting kind of I don't want to say grieving process because that's a bit intense, but this kind of like Akin to grieving in that that sense that it was like, what do you what do you do when you thought you had time to explore something and suddenly you don't? Mm. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's and and this is actually this is this is what's interesting about this to me is that um, one of the I can't for the life of me remember who it was, um, but there's one of the one of the reviews we had. Um, I think it was I think it must have been Drew, it must have been um, Podcast Dragon one talking about um nim's obvious crush on kimura and we were all like what are you talking about what like, are you it's, talking about it's so <laughs> it's so the other way around like kimura and i think it's what's funny about that is because i um i'd kind of decided very early on um i mean i i wasn't gonna be playing a straight character i knew that from from the get-go oh but um, <laughs> but then going in and thinking like well okay you know to, to what sort of you know how much do i want this to come into play you know whatever um and but going into it and just being like okay cremora is gonna have a big dumb like sort of schoolgirl crush yeah schoolgirl crush on someone and it was like who is it gonna be well it'll may as well be nim um kind of thing and like <laughs> Also, and I think this is the thing because I I, I know your role playing habits quite well. Um, so <laughs> what I kind are you of talking about <laughs> I I could kind of reasonably intuit who what Nim was gonna kind of the the basic the building blocks of Nim I guess, um, <laughs> and, and especially because you talked about you know you talked about the inspirations for Nim and 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 Cora being being part of that 
and so on. It so was forth. actually Katara. Katara, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Um, um, although it's funny you say Korra because we rewatched Legend of Korra semi recently, and um, I mean Nim is just. Can I say this? Will I p- piss people off? Nim is a better written Korra. Yeah. No, I'll give you. No, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, um, I love Korra. Um, obviously, I accidentally recreated her <laughs> in my favorite character of all time. But yeah. moving on. Um, yeah. So it was really funny because um, it, it wasn't something I. I mean, it's always something I'm interested in exploring through roleplay um, is romance and relationship dynamics and how, and in stories in general is something I've always really, really loved is what draws people together mm. and like why are they attracted to each other? Is it romantic? Is it sexual? Is it, um, what's the word? Neither of the platonic, that one, like what, what is it about connection that creates attraction? Yeah. Um, and I, I love exploring that as a queer person, but also, you know, someone who at one point identified as being on the ace spectrum, like, mm-hmm. it's really interesting where those lines are kind of drawn, like, what does it mean to be romantically attracted to someone? And, you know, like, yeah. where does shared experience kind of come into that? But it wasn't something that I necessarily expected to do going into, into QD, um, because, I mean, I didn't have any expectations going into QD. Let's be honest. It was yeah. like, Sammy wants to do a podcast. We want to try this new system. I'm always down to roleplay. Yeah. Sign me up. Um, and, and kind of this moment when Kremora died was when I, like, I was already invested, obviously. But, like, that's when I really was like that. And I realized, like, what you had put on the table, you were kind of offering me this delicious plate of... <laughs> exploring romance. this um, yeah exactly and i was like i will take 10 serves please <laughs> yeah, it's and, and it's funny because um and we, we we joked about this that in the um the the campaign that our friend group was all we were all we were all in as campaign of masks a new generation um which which i i was running and in that campaign ursula managed to romance the characters of both um of both of my partners um <laughs> over, over the course of that campaign and so when the Nomura relationship happened we did you know that Ursula has now collected the set um yeah <laughs> romanced all of our characters at some point um and it's just but I think it's funny how how it kind of developed you know like how it went from and and that it took I mean it's not funny but, but that it took this kind of this kind of death, and I think I wonder what the what the course of QD would have been like if Cremora hadn't died. Like, yeah. Well, I wonder if I wonder if um, I think we would have had more of a slow burn, right? Yeah, because there wouldn't have been that impetus to admit those feelings. Yeah. Um, and I think there probably would have been a lot more back and forth, yes. <laughs> and it wouldn't have been as it wouldn't have been as zero to a hundred. Yeah. Um, wouldn't have been as angsty either. It would certainly wouldn't have been as angsty. They probably would have had, um, in some ways, a healthier relationship from the get go. Yeah. Um, because the reason that Nim kind of was beginning to fall for Kremora was because of her selflessness and her desire to help people, which was something Nim hadn't really encountered before was someone who just kind of didn't it's not that she expected 
Cremora to have some ulterior motive, but it was just that, you know, all her life she'd lived in this little village where people did things, you know, to survive for the good of the village and she'd had all these responsibilities pushed on her by Pip and it was like she wasn't really familiar with someone who just kind of got to do nice things because they wanted to. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And she was a little bit confused about why that was being directed at her, um, but she liked it. And then when it was suddenly threatened, you know, like Cremora provided this kind of warm, fuzzy feeling, which she hadn't ever really properly experienced before. Um, and then, and then it was just yanked away and she was like, well, hell no, <laughs> give me my wizard back, please. But then in the process of doing that, obviously like Cremora lost some of that, like, mm-hmm the drive i guess to be altruistic because of because she was hurt yeah so um and and yeah kind of i i think i mean i'm not i'm like i'm never 100 percent happy with anything i do um but like in particular i'm not i'm not super happy with a lot of the a lot of the stuff that um a lot of the stuff that happened with um uh, with cremora post-death but i think overall the dis how do, how do i put this um I think dying narratively was the most interesting thing that could have happened. Yeah, I agree. I think because I think there's a there's a kind of because often death is uninteresting. Death is killing a character off is just boring a lot of the time, right? Mm. Because there's so many more interesting things you can do. If you kill a character, that's that character gone, right? Unless you can bring them back, which obviously we did. But like, which then again can become boring if you're doing yeah. a kind of standard, more traditional D and D style campaign because you can just cast resurrect over and over again yeah. as long as you have the components. Well, which you know, which is is fine for that sort of thing because that's kind of the point, right? It's that it's mm. death becomes another challenge that you overcome, right? That's that's kind mm. of the point of that because you're not approaching it from this sort of very strong narrative thing. But with this, I think death. It's not. It, it's not about death being uninteresting it's about death being meaningful Mm. and i think that's something that we've we've always tried to do with qd really um oh absolutely i think or and and i mean as you were as you you know so rightly said after um spoilers for very recent event well recent when we're recording this don't know when it'll (laughs) when it comes out but it's going up in a couple of days that's the point of these (laughs) yes that's a very good point um but for singana's death um yeah i was just thinking that um, i mean jared is the king of like gut punch character deaths yeah like jared is um that that kind of there's that joke um it was about the um uh there's a character there was a thing about like you know oh here's you know when the character gets introduced it's like oh i'm slap happy jack i wear clown makeup and throw um you know use pies as weapons and (laughs) i'm just ridiculous and then you know 50 sessions later it's like you know they're having this incredible like self-sacrifice to save everyone else and everyone's crying and it's this whole thing and jared is just absurdly good at that like playing these ridiculous characters that you would never expect to develop beyond kind of a joke um and then just hitting you repeatedly over the head with them um oh yeah (laughs) just yeah and so i think and it's it's interesting in the context of of cremora which is the you know the the cremora's death and 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 nim's relationship how that kind of because we joked when during the battle for the nested rock we joked that when 
Cremora jumped out of the way of the Firebird, and that extra damage killed uh, Signana. We joked that it was sort of full circle because Signana had kind of let Cremora, you know, had, had let Cremora die um, in the tomb. But it, but I think it's interesting with that kind of yeah death having that kind of narrative mm. space or narrative weight um, that a lot of things often don't give it um, for various reasons. And just keeping that in the forefront, and not just player character death, um, you know, all all death, really. Um, like, if you kill a sentient thing, then that's not good, right? I don't know, it sounds so simple, but... Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it's a really interesting, like, that idea, that that kind of the value of life is something that I think is another... I, I would argue probably the strongest emergent theme from QD. Yeah, because, you know, at the beginning, we're at the dam, we were killing guards, we were killing kobolds at Mount Pleasant. Like, you know, we were playing a very standard kind of fantasy Dungeons & Dragons style campaign at first, even though we knew, obviously, that this was Dungeon World, so it's narrative focused and, um, you know, it was going to be like that. But kind of, you know, we would never do that now. No, absolutely. So that that kind of value for life and this idea that, you know, I guess this this rejection of the traditional um, role-playing experience, or at least the mainstream role-playing experience, um, is something that I'm kind of proudest of in QD. Mm. Not, you know, not that the, the mainstream role-playing experience is bad, just that I think thinking a bit deeper about it and dissecting it a little bit and and examining why it's like that can be not just meaningful in terms of creating stories but meaningful in terms of who you you are as a person and what what life and death means to you we're getting very uh, philosophical (laughs) (laughs) but like (laughs) but like um you know definitely one of the things i think i'm proudest of with qd is is how that has shifted in just kind of our collective um, group's playstyle. Yeah. Um, kind of dr- driven a lot by Sammy, but I think in response to Cremora's journey. Because um, I think, you know, when, when Cremora murdered the guards in the Blisterwood, um, I know that was a really kind of significant and, and uncomfortable moment, I think, mm for you and I at the table. I think we could we both could tell. Yeah. Um, um and and then the way Sammy brought that back and turned that into a really meaningful moment was I mean, was really cool. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean I think that's the that's the the essence of it, I think, is and, and I mean it's a it's a cliche thing, but it's the idea of um, you know, suffering begets suffering kind of thing. Mm. Um yeah, and the cycle of abuse and and this whole sort of thing. Where Cremora because she had this traumatic experience, she her entire life is in, is drastically impacted, and and her whole kind of experience of the world radically alters, and and that you know it's not just something you can shrug off. It's not just something you can say, oh well, that's fine. I'll I'll just move on. Mm-hmm. Um, like a exper- dealing with with death in any kind of capacity is 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 hard. But yeah, no, this idea that life has has value and this idea that just casually or callously discarding people's lives 
and thinking about why that's a thing in fiction, thinking about mm. what and, and the sorts of kind of narratives that promote that idea. And I mean, you could talk at length and uh, about like the use of the use of kind of casual violence as 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 a kind of cultural propaganda and like i i'm so proud of the fact that we've pushed back a bit against that yeah definitely me too i i I was literally about to say like i I definitely think there's been a a kind of trend in media i mean particularly in tv but i think it's it's reflected in the kind of tabletop role-playing sphere of this kind of very grimdark not grimdark's the wrong word but just like violence and death on a kind of mass scale and this kind of hopelessness, you know, very like Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, neither of which I've seen. This is just the impression. Yeah. No, I've <laughs> but I like... have seen I've seen some of both and they're very bad. Um, um Yeah, that idea and and I think um yeah, I, I feel exactly the same. I'm I'm so proud of of how we push back against that. And I definitely think it you know, the culmination of that was was Signana's death, particularly because it was Neiman Cremora who made the choice with Jared's consent, um, yes. I might add, um, in case that wasn't abundantly clear in the yeah. episode, um, to kill Signana or at least prevent him from returning or him having a kind of life after death, who made that decision, you know? Um, and, like, that moment uh, for me at the table... I think Sammy kept in one moment because I asked them to um, of this little check-in because I just wanted to make it clear that there was, you know, consistent checking in and consent Mm. with what was going on. Um, But, like, I know for me at the table in that moment, I I felt sick. I was like, I can't believe we've just done this. Yeah. You know, And, and there was this really, really deeply uncomfortable space that I was in which was good. Like, I enjoyed it as an experience because I was like, well, this this gives depth and significance to Signana's life and Signana's sacrifice and the sacrifice of anyone who gets caught in the way of these power struggles, whether that's, you know, giant space lobsters and preventing the end of the world and the gods returning or, you know like real world events war and police brutality and you know queer oppression and racial oppression and and you know anything like that there's like mm. there's real meaning in that sacrifice and and the fact that a lot of the time it isn't sacrifice you know they're not willingly standing in harm's way they just get hurt yeah it's um i think it's 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 interesting to me because having that kind of and this and and how it plays out with the discussions on the ship right and the idea Mm. of cremora's kind of rationalization for it is she's kind of or by necessity really had to adopt a very kind of sort of greater good kind of you know sort of mentality like the idea of sometimes you have to sometimes if it's a choice between the world ending or one person dying, then she will always make, you know, she will always have to make, she'll always make that choice. Um, but then the idea, but then the Patsy bringing in the idea of like, mm. as a person who was a, in a, in a similar kind of situation to Sinana as a, as a damned soul, effectively, like going, well, I think you made the wrong choice because even if you're, 
like even if you're just a soul who's been trapped or who's suffering you're, you're still a person you're still alive but with that final death you've taken that away um yeah and i appreciated that moment so much because i just thought like like i mean listening back to that episode there are so many moments where we could have just let her go you know but like nim and cremora were so like one track mind on this righteous idea of like you know one less messenger means you know <laughs> like yeah. one one slightly better chance of us succeeding at the end of this slightly better chance that the rest of the world won't be as impacted and some like to me you know and i think i i think i tried to express this in character i don't know how well it came out but like how that decision while you know patsy rightfully pointed out that it wasn't necessarily the correct one it may have came come across as selfish both of them were doing it for selfless reasons mm, yes and it's that idea that when you're in that situation when you're playing with this kind of power there isn't a choice where someone's not going to get hurt yeah 100 percent. and um and that's i think the other kind of um that's kind of the other thing and something that i something i find very interesting um narratively speaking is the idea of what does someone like what like a group of people like our characters who are the pinnacle of they are probably amongst the most powerful people in the world mm. like nim i mean i think cremora objectively is at this point yes cremora like with with the power of the with the power of the space lobster cremora is yeah probably the most powerful person on earth or on the flat world right mm. i mean and, and i think about it in terms of I mean, going back to the idea of sort of traditional traditional table stuff in Dungeons and Dragons, and like, what does an adventurer look like to a normal person? Mm. Um, and that kind of when you have that kind of ridiculous power, when you are so so much, when you have so much more impact, I suppose, on the world. Where and this is something that comes up with Cremora, right? It's the idea of you know if Jolene messes up if jolene throws a knife and it misses it's gonna hit one person right if patsy swings and misses it'll probably hit and kill one or two people if cremora <laughs> if cremora's fireballs go wrong like dozens of people could potentially be killed mm. um and i think her kind of being very conscious of that that i mean i i in on the one hand just the idea of that kind of i don't want to say risk reward because that sounds so so awful but that idea of like the more powerful you become the more dangerous you are yeah um and and really kind of dealing with how you handle that because you can just keep going and you can just accept the fact that you are by becoming more powerful and 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 in the case of these characters more able to deal with the kinds of threats that we are facing but at the same time you are becoming less you know there's the risk of you becoming less connected to reality it's becoming less aware of your impact and the impact uh, that you have on the world and the impact mm. on people around you and trying to really go against that and being really conscious of if i if i if i make a mistake people get hurt and sometimes as you say we'll be in situations where people are just going to end up getting hurt and you have to make the choice of it's not about if someone gets hurt it's about who gets hurt yeah exactly um and <laughs> i'm gonna bring this back to square one because 
we have gone oh, over God, time, which I was. I mean, you and I are the worst two people to do oh, this. We should because we are terrible. We, <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, um, that idea of yeah, choosing who and choosing having the power and choosing who lives and who dies to bring that back to this initial moment that we were supposed to be talking about, but I knew this would happen. <laughs> it's um, fine. We were talking about it in a broader thematic sense. Exactly. Um, to bring it back to the original moment, that idea of who has control over someone's life, Yeah. Um, you know, and Nim making the decision to bring Cremora back and then feeling the negative consequences of it, not just for Cremora, but for her, for the relationship she thought she was going to have, you know, was really, really impactful and has deeply shaped the character Nim has become and continues to become. Um, you know, Signana's death being the next most, or probably equally significant, but the next chronological huge impact on her and making her realise, you know, that she, like, when when Cremora died and she chose to bring her back, she was being selfish, Nim was yeah. Nim was a selfish person then. Not maliciously, but she was. Um, and realising the impact of that it had on her and what she'd lost from that made her never want to have that power. And then Signana's death made her realise that, well, whether she wants it or not, she does have that power. And so it's not about rejecting power. It's about using it responsibly when you have it and not mm. necessarily seeking out more for the sake of having it. Yes. Um. And that was something that Cremora started. So, yeah, I really think that moment of, of Cremora's death was just in, in so many ways drove the story that Queer Dungeoneers became both just in the, you know, the kind of sequence of events, but the, the themes that Scarlett and I and Sammy as well chose to kind of draw out yeah. of the campaign. And that... Is that, even though we yeah. both have more to say on we it? We have a lot more we to do. say about this. We, <laughs> we will definitely do another one and it will go ridiculously over time. And um, Oh yeah. my god, actually, I had one more point. Yes, please. There's something that Cremora says to Nim as she's dying, um, which is, you are the only one who can help. Mm -hmm. And it's it hit me so hard re-listening to that because, like, without knowing it, like... I, as a player, have taken that to heart as something Nim has done, is that she feels like, not that no one else can help, but that she has to. Yeah. Very interesting. Anyway, we will let your tired ears rest. Once again, let us know what moments you would like to hear us talk about, which um, cast members you would like to do that. I think the next one we've got set up is Jared and Tori. Tune in for the run to Death's Door. Same queer dun, time, dun, dun. same queer channel. <laughs> <laughs> bye. I, again, I'm not doing the bye. I never do. I'll do it for you. Bye. You and then I'll just layer those two over each other.